is Pastor Yao. He's no stranger to us. So Pastor Yao, you come and open God's word to us tonight. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to share with you this evening. And as I was contemplating and thinking about this over the past month or so, Pastor had asked me about a month ago if I would fill in this Wednesday evening. And I thought, what better thing to talk about or preach about than the subject of prayer? So tonight, as you're sitting there, the ushers are going to come out and they're going to pass out prayer slips. And you're going to write down how many prayers you said this week, how much time you spent in prayer, and your membership will be dependent upon that. No, that's not true. (laughs) I don't want you to think that for a moment. But I do want to look at the subject of prayer. And my first thoughts about prayer was to ask, how is your prayer life? And that's a question that each one of us need to ask and come honestly before the Lord. And if we did have to fill out a tally sheet or we did have to let others know how much we prayed during the week, we probably would be embarrassed to say how much time we spent in prayer. Some people may be able to report that they spent an hour each day in prayer, some people less. I don't know what it is for you, but each one of us would be wise to consider how much time we do spend in prayer and the purpose of it. And can you say, I'm satisfied with how much I pray? I'm satisfied with the answers that I get in prayer. When I was in uh, college, I remember, uh, I think it was the year that we graduated, I I wasn't sure what I was planning to do. We felt like we were going to be called into the ministry. We had thought about going to the foreign mission field. We were even uh, setting up a date to meet with someone. He never showed up to interview us. So we thought, well, that's out. So then uh, we had an opportunity to be involved in a ministry with Village Missions, which was working in small communities throughout America where there were churches at one time, but now it was just a few people holding it together because they couldn't afford to have a pastor there, so Village Missions would send somebody there. So every church that we served with Village Missions was an opportunity for us to challenge people in things that maybe they've never even heard before or understood. But I remember in college they said that every preacher should be ready to preach, pray, or die. And I thought seriously about that. I thought, well, I could always carry an extra message with me so I'd be ready to preach, but that hasn't always worked out either. And pray, you know, that's always something that each one of us can do. And die, we don't have much choice in that matter. God is in control of that. But um, while we were living in the state of New York, um, we had an opportunity to pastor a little bit larger of a church. It was maybe 50 or 60 people. And there was an elderly man in the church by the name of Mr. Beebe. And everybody avoided asking him to pray because it was kind of like this joke that I saw in a magazine when the pastor got up and somebody was praying. He says, now we'll turn to him number 360 while so-and-so finishes his prayer. (laughs) Because that's the kind of prayer he was. People would fall asleep. They just thought, oh, how can he go on and pray and pray like this for so long? But he was a wonderful man. I had an opportunity to visit with him many times, and I'm sure that his prayer life was very rich and meaningful. And um, I think that it was in New York State that I gained a whole new perspective 
on prayer and what it was. Because up until that time, I always prayed so that people would enjoy my prayer or they would think I was very spiritual in the way I prayed. But I came to a point in my ministry where when I prayed during the morning service, I learned to just talk to God. You know, I wasn't worried about impressing people. I wasn't worried about what they wanted me to pray about. I was just trying to do what God wanted me to do and to deal with prayer from that perspective. Well, it was during that time while we were living in New York State that I had an opportunity to go to uh, Practical Bible Institute, which was in Hatfield, Pennsylvania, to represent our mission. While I was there, there was a man there who was representing uh, what was called Revival Literature from Asheville, North Carolina. And I saw a book there. It was called Praying Hyde. And I needed to, to read this book. And I challenge you, if you have a, a problem with prayer, to read it because his life was a challenge to everybody he came in contact with about prayer. And most people's experience is that we know the importance of prayer, but to be honest, we would say that of all of our Christian experience, it's probably the weakest area of our life. Maybe we've gotten some prayer requests answered. Maybe things would have happened even if we didn't pray about it. So that's one of the weakest areas that most Christians have in their Christian walk, in their Christian life. But I just learned to talk to God and to not worry about what I'm impressing other people with. But uh, very few people have ever prayed that I have prayed with that I felt touched the throne of God or transported me into the presence of God when they were praying. You know, I, I would like to be that kind of a prayer myself. And I do know a man in this church who, when I pray with him, he transports me in that way. So uh, in that uh, idea of John Hyde, um, I remember, I, in the book I read about a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman, he was a, a worldwide evangelist. He went all over the world. He was from the Presbyterian Church, but he had a lot of success in bringing people to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. At one point in his ministry, he was uh, preaching in England, and uh, the services were not what he expected. He was not getting the results that he wanted to get. Somebody came up to him after the service and said, don't worry about it. Praying Hyde is coming. He's a, a man from... Uh, the United States, and he's coming to pray. And so when he came and he prayed for the services, it was like the services turned around completely. There was a 50 men who came to know Jesus Christ that first night. So anyway, Wilbur Chapman went to him and he said, I want you to pray for me. And I want to read to you what he said. These are his own words from a letter that he wrote. He said, um, at one of our missions in England, the assembly... Uh, was extremely small. Results seemed impossible. But I received a letter from a missionary that an American missionary, known as Praying Hyde, would be in the place to pray God's blessing down upon our work. Almost instantly, the tide changed. The hall was packed, and my first invitation meant 50 men for Jesus Christ. As we were leaving, I said, Mr. Hyde, I want you to pray for me. He came to my room, turned the key in the door, dropped on his knees, waited five minutes without a single syllable coming from his lips. 
I could hear my own heart thumping and his beating. I felt the hot tears running down my face. I knew I was in the presence of God. Then with upturned face, down which tears uh, streamed, he said simply, Oh, God. Then for five minutes at least, he was still again. And then when he knew that he was talking to God, his arm went round my shoulder and then came up from the depths of his heart such petitions for men as I have never heard before. And I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. So that was a transformation in his life concerning prayer, meeting a man who really was a man of prayer and knew how to pray. I looked up prayer in the Old Testament, and the very first word, first time the word prayer is used in the Old Testament, uh, first mentioned is in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 7, and it's in relation to Abraham and Abimelech. You may remember the story of Abraham going to Abimelech's territory, and he told his wife to not let him know that she was his wife. Tell him, you're my sister. Well, Abimelech immediately took her into his home and wanted her for a wife, and God came to him and spoke to him that night and told him that what he was doing was wrong. So he was able to go back to uh, Abraham and tell him the story that God said that Abraham will pray for you. Abraham will pray for you. So that's really the first mention. Um, And the word actually means to judge, officially or mentally. By extension, it means to intercede for someone. And it's the most common word in the Hebrew to describe the act of prayer offered in times of distress. And we're all familiar with those times of distress when people went to God in prayer. Hannah's prayer for a son was a time of distress. She was being distressed because her uh, roommate, Penina, was having all kinds of children. She wasn't having any, so she went and prayed in her distress that God would give her a child. Elisha's prayer for a dead son, a woman that he was able to predict that she was going to have a child. When the child was old enough to go out with his father to work, he cried one day about his head hurting. They took him back home, and he died. And she called for Elisha to come, and Elisha stretched himself. It's just an intense time of prayer, and the child revived and came back to life. And also Hezekiah's prayer for protection from Sennacherib and all of his host of men that were coming against Israel. And also for his own health, he prayed to God. And also we have Jonah's prayer from the belly of a fish. Those were all referenced in that same manner. That was the prayer that was uh, used, the word that was used. Then prayer in the New Testament, and I was really surprised at this. The first mention of prayer in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 5, and it is at the Sermon on the Mount. My first thought was, well, what happened all the way up to the Sermon on the Mount? Did they never pray? Nobody ever talk about prayer before that point? But that's the first mention. Mark chapter 6, verse 46 says, he departed into a mountain to pray. Was he praying before that? Was anybody praying before that? Or is that just first mention? Luke chapter 6, verse 12, he went into a mountain to pray. That's Luke's first mention. And John chapter 14, 
14, verse 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father for you, that he will send you another comforter. So what happened to prayer in those early chapters of those books? But really, what we want to know about prayer is how to pray effectively. And I can assure you that you will go to a Bible bookstore, whatever Bible bookstore it is, and you will find numberless books on the subject of prayer. Some of them have been taken off of the shelves and new ones have been put on. But there are numberless books about prayer, how to pray, how to be effective in prayer, what's the best thing, best words to use in prayer, everything you can find in the bookstore. But what did Jesus say? And that's really what my message is about tonight. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13 Notice he says, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him, even before we pray and we come before him. So in that passage, verses 5 through 13, we have three injunctions. First of all, verse 5, we see to avoid hypocrisy in our prayers. The word is hupocrites, which is literally an actor under an assumed character. We all know and we have all seen movies or plays, people acting someone other than what their real nature or what their real character is. In fact, there have been times when I have seen people uh, in, a, in a movie and then seen them interviewed in real life, and I thought, that isn't anything like what they were in the movie. It's because they're playing a character. They're playing someone that is not really them. They're a stage player. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may glory, get the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's what hypocrites are. They are assuming a character that they aren't really that person. And I fear sometimes that as Christians and as we pray with others that sometimes we put on a character that isn't really us. We know the words, we know what to say, and we can pray that way and we impress people. But we're not out to impress people, we're out to pray to the Lord. So avoid hypocrisy. Be genuine in your prayer. And the second one is practice intimacy. Verse 6, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The word that is used there, uh, talking about intimacy, is intima, which is in most. 
The innermost layer, it's used in uh, Webster's Dictionary, this word is used as the innermost layer of the walls of an artery, a vein, or your lymphatic system. It's that most inward part. But here it's referring to a secret chamber, a storehouse, the inner chamber on the ground floor of an interior or an oriental house. It was used for storage or for privacy. It's a secret chamber in the house, probably to keep things so that people wouldn't know what was there. In fact, I remember reading about um, uh, during the years of the war with Germany, uh, many people who had secret chambers in their house underneath their table, and uh, they would hide individuals there. It was a secret place that nobody knew about. And God says that's where he wants us to be. But there's an interesting thought in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also in that inner sanctum place with the Lord, because your treasure is there. That's what needs to be there. It's the hidden place, the treasure of the heart, and that's where your heart needs to be. In verse 7, he says to abstain from repetition. Batologeo is the word. The root is a proverbial stammerer. Now, I know we don't often stammer in our prayer time with other people, but it means to stutter or to prate, which it is translated in the Old Testament. Webster calls it to talk much and foolishly. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, be careful for nothing, to be anxious, though, or through the idea of distraction. And too often we are distracted in prayer, and we just say things because we've been taught to pray that way or this way. So he says in verse 8, be not ye therefore like unto them. In other words, avoid hypocrisy, practice intimacy, and abstain from repetition. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask. Verse 9, after this manner, therefore pray. You know what after this manner literally means? Like this. You know, somebody saying, if you ask them instructions how to do something, you know, if you're planning to prepare a meal or cook something, cook rice or whatever it might be, uh, they say, do it like this. I'll show you what it's like. So this is literally a prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us to give us a pattern for how we should pray. When I was growing up in, and when I was in high school, when we'd have our assemblies in school, and even at public meetings in our city, the whole congregation or gathered group of people would all stand and we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And I have been in churches that every Sunday they want to recite the Lord's Prayer. It just seems to them like there's something magical about this. And there is something very instructive to us as God's people about how to pray. The first part is verses 9 and 10 our priority. Verses 13, or 11 through 13 is our needs, and verses, verse 13b is our praise. So keep those things in mind when we're talking about prayer. So our priority, verses 9 and 10, are our Father. 
There's the word pater, which is a title of intimacy of relationship. Whenever we pray, we ought to spend time, even as uh, praying Hyde did, preparing himself to come into the presence of the Father until he was able to say, Oh God, Oh Father, preparing his heart for that. It's a title of intimacy of relationship. The same word is used in John chapter 17 and verse 1 in which Jesus prayed in the garden and he said, Oh Father, Oh righteous Father. That was the intimate word that he used. And as such, we yield to his will and his desires. They are the priority of our life, his will and his desires. And he uses three phrases here when he uses thy. He says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, verse 10, thy kingdom and thy will. Those are the three things that are important when we talk to God. Thy name, hallowed be thy name. It's from the root for holy, to make holy, to set apart, to recognize, even as the priests in the Old Testament, when they came into the presence of a holy God to bring a sacrifice before God and offer up their incense to him, they recognized the seriousness of that relationship. In fact, there were people who intruded into that who didn't recognize the seriousness of it, and they died. They were struck dead because of it. He also talks about thy kingdom. You know, I'm so thankful for uh, a series of messages that Lynn did in the adult Sunday school class a few years back about the glorious kingdom of the Lord. And a lot of it was based upon the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, verse, or Daniel chapter 4, I'm sorry. Daniel chapter 4, and Verse uh, 3, we read, How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Same message, verse 17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Same chapter, verse 25. That they shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Same chapter, verse 32. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat the grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And then lastly, verse 34, And at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. It's all about God's kingdom. Thy will be done. As the, uh, that's the third thing, thy will. It is a surrender to God's purposes and his will. Jesus said, nevertheless, even though he prayed about going to the cross, he said, nevertheless, thy will be done. It's your kingdom. You're in control, and I leave it all in your hands. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could just do that in prayer? We could just say, it's your kingdom, Lord, and I'm leaving all of these concerns upon my heart. I will bring them before you, but I am leaving them in your hands because it is your kingdom. The second thing he mentions is our needs. Notice verses 11 through 13 in Matthew chapter 6. He said, and, or verse 12, and, verse 11, I'm sorry, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So that's where most prayer settles, and that's where we find ourselves most in prayer is with us. John Phillips, in one of his um, commentaries, I like John Phillips, he uses a lot of alliteration, and he sums it up this way. He says, we pray about our provision, our pardon, and our protection. And those really are the three things that we pray most about. Our provision. You know, we have needs. We have needs in life. I need a different car. We need a different house. We need to live somewhere else. We need to do this. We need to do that. We have money for this. Our provisions. And pardon. We always are coming asking for forgiveness for things that we have uh, faltered in. Or protection. You know, we don't go anywhere without praying for protection from the Lord and guiding us and guarding us. But here's the caution why God sometimes appears not to answer our prayers. I just heard a commentary on this not too long ago because he says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, we need to recognize that his purposes for our life are much greater than our purposes or what we could ever imagine. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, God is not leading us into temptation. But when we pray that, we are asking him to guard us from temptation. Because if he gave us what we wanted, we may become a victim of temptation that only he foresees. And I have oftentimes prayed about things and thought if God would only lead us into that and allow us to do that. But it never happened. It never came about. And the only thing I could figure out was that God was protecting me because that may lead me into some temptation or problem in my life. When our children were growing up, we kept a lot of things from them that we knew would be very difficult for them to deal with later in life. And that included television. Our children were not allowed to watch television. We did watch a few basic videos that they were allowed to watch. 
We did not play video games. We, in fact, did not allow them to go to houses where video games were played, and on and on. Even toys that they wanted, because other kids had those toys. There are a lot of toys that we did not allow them to have. There are a lot of fruit, fruity snacks, or sugar snacks that we did not allow them to have, because we knew the dangers of that. And, you know, when we stop to think about all those things, those are dangers that when we are introduced to them, they carry over into our later life, and they have a tendency to control how we do things. So he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the power and the kingdom forever. And that's what Jesus' prayer was for his disciples, John 17, 15. Jesus prayed, I pray that thou wilt not take them out of the world, but that thou wilt keep them from the evil. And sometimes we need to pray and recognize that when God does not answer a prayer in our lives, we need to recognize that he's keeping us from some evil temptation that we might be taken with if he answered that prayer. Keep us, deliver us from evil. And lastly, our praise, verse 13b. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The word is in that passage of scripture is interesting. It's the word esti. And it's from the Greek. And it's a, a verb actually mean to be. I looked it up in Webster. And it's a part of grammar. We have third person singular. I am, you are, he is. So he's saying, thine is, he is, it is your power. He is as it now is, without change from its present condition. Thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory forever. And that ought to be where we camp at when we leave prayer, recognizing that ultimately it is his power, it is his kingdom, and he is ultimately in control. And I can come away from prayer leaving it all in his hands, just as the, the writer of this said. And the word amen, everybody knows what it means, don't they? So be it. So be it. That's what we end with, amen. And that's just giving it over to the Lord and resting in his ability and power to do great things that we are not even aware of. Sometimes we look back and we think, well, God really did a work in my life that I was not praying about or asking him to do. So let's be men and women of prayer, not just prayer meeting, but at prayer too. And uh, we're not going to take any tolls here. We're not going to ask any, uh, uh, anybody to tell how much they pray, pray or when they pray or what they're praying for. But we just want to challenge you to be men and women of prayer because Prayer accomplishes more than we can ever imagine. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this time that we could look at your word. We just uh, thank you for the, the pattern that the Lord Jesus has given to us. 
And we confess that many times we do not follow that pattern. We have our own uh, thoughts. We have our own pattern of prayer. But we want to be able to be the most effective in our prayer lives and to be able to surrender areas of our life, to know that you are at work in our lives and that you are challenging us afresh and leading us in paths of righteousness. Thank you, Father, for the things that you do withhold and for seemingly unanswered prayers, but recognizing that the answer came in a different way than we were expecting. We thank you, Father, that we can yield all of this over to you and know that you are ultimately our God and you have our best interests at heart. Bless our day as we give it into your hands. Guide us in this week as we become prayer warriors. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing in closing one.